You've got to just remind yourself and focus on the positives and the things you do know. I do know that I've worked really hard to come back. I do know that many people come back and never get re-injured right. versus what you don't know. When you spend so much time thinking about what you don't know, it can really kind of stop you in your tracks. This is Dr. Julia Amato, sports psychologist with Mind of the Athlete, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Today we're talking with uh, Julie Amato. She's a sports psychologist at Mind of the Athlete, and she's also a former athlete herself. Um, and we're going to be focusing on returning to sport after injury in, in this conversation. So, uh, Julie, can you just talk about what sports you played growing up and maybe what some of your accolades were as an athlete? Oh, you're going to try to make me brag. Yeah, this is what it's all about. <laughs> I, I told uh, I told Aaron this, that I'm, I'm here to promote you guys, so I want you to yep. yeah, tell, tell us what you're all about. So, uh, Growing up, played everything. I was always such a tomboy and a jock. And um, but competitively, you know, in high school, I played tennis, uh, track and field, softball, and basketball. But I'm I'm a lover of all sports. Loved playing like football in the backyard, all, all that right. stuff. And then at, in college, uh, I ended up playing basketball at Brown University. Okay. So, yeah. Ivy League. So yeah, we got a smarty on our hands too. That's right. Cool. So, uh, what were some of your ac- accolades? Were you like all state or? Team MVP. Oh, he's or... really going to do this to me now. Come on, let's do uh, it. So, yeah, so some of the accolades. Okay, so personally, you know, as a basketball player, you always strive to score. Thousand points. points. Yep. So I had 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds. Those were kind of big milestones. Um, the leading scorer at my high school. And, uh, yes, and a few kind of Hall of Fames, those kinds of things. Oh, no all big state, deal. all that okay. stuff. Yeah, no problem. So I, I did pretty well in basketball and, right, and cool. some of the other sports. So it was good. So we got a legit athlete on our yeah. hands here. <laughs> Um, what was your favorite memory from your sports career? Uh, I think for me, it was definitely um, competing at the high school level with a team that won four district titles. It was really cool. Um, I'm still very connected to those guys. And just kind of, you know, more than the the personal a- accolades you forced out of me earlier, the, right. <laughs> the team the stuff. Team is, stuff. It's so meaningful. It's like what I remember the most. Uh, it's my favorite part of it. I was super competitive. Hated losing, love winning. Right. Uh, I've mellowed out now in my <laughs> older years, but that was definitely the way it was for me, and those are kind of my fondest fondest memories. Awesome. Did you suffer from any injuries during your athletic career? Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can play sports for that long and not get a little banged up, but right. I was fortunate. I didn't have any injuries requiring any surgery. I've broken like eight out of my ten fingers, broken my nose four times. Um, in high school, the biggest injury struggle for me was a uh, sprained ankle, and that's kind of common for basketball, but... Um, I had that foot that was like black from like Ooh, okay. the, the whole entire foot, the toes up to the leg. Uh, I remember it really well. It was kind of like starting in like eighth grade and then it just kept happening. Cause as you know, you know, when once you're, you do it once, or... once you do it once, you just keep doing it and you don't rest enough when you're young. You're not, you're not really thinking about things like rest and right. recovery. You're thinking about like, when can I go out and play? Tape me up as tight as possible. Uh, so that was kind of it for me. So you're going to be perfect for talking about returning to sports after <laughs> injuries. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Prior to your education in psychology, uh, did you utilize any sports psychology techniques or is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew when you were playing sports? 
Yeah. I mean, I think as an athlete, I didn't directly use any techniques. There was no sports psychology happening. There was nobody teaching me anything. But I think like not knowingly, I did some things that I now teach athletes about, like pregame routine, staying really focused and visualizing. I used to do that with free throws. Like, always think about them going in. Okay. Um, I think I was pretty good at filtering out noise and distraction and kind of focusing on what I was doing. I think sometimes for athletes, that's pretty innate, and other times it needs to be taught. Um, I think other things that I did that I try to teach athletes about is kind of channeling um, – negativity into something positive okay like somebody's kind of taunting you or fans are screaming at you using that as motivation do um, you have like an example yeah so a great example of this would have been um i try to use humor too um, and have fun so uh, i remember one high school game um it was like a state playoff game and i fouled out and uh, there were some particularly vicious fans and one guy like really got pretty close up to me in my face um, and was kind of like screaming about me, found out and kind of taunting me. And I just like took like three steps up into the bleachers and just shook his hand. And I said, Hey man, thanks for coming. You know, just kind of like yeah. play with him. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things you could really kind of silence a crowd when you just perform. And so that's what really motivates me to help athletes, you know, oh. just kind of this ability to tune it out and just do what you need to do. Cool. Yeah. Uh, what sparked your interest in going into a career in sports psychology? Well, it's funny because I um, I majored in psychology in college, and um, you know I was always really interested in people and kind of what makes people tick, and so it was always kind of a fascinating field for me. And uh, I ended up becoming a clinical psychologist, and for a long time I actually practiced in forensic psychology. I was kind of working in the prison system and, okay. ev and evaluating um, violent offenders, and uh, it was a pretty cool line of work. And I really liked kind of this this idea of like, how does a brain work? What, what makes people make certain decisions and behave in certain ways? Um, but then after a period of time, I really wanted to get into something a little more positive. Um, and so I started to work at a college counseling center at Lehigh and came into contact with a lot of college age athletes. And I just love that, that age group, that population, that 18 and 22 year old population of just kind of like you're you're learning about who you are. But you kind of know who you are. But you kind of know who you are, you yeah. think. But, like, there's so much room for growth. Right. Um, and so – and then it just made so much sense when I started to work with the athletes. They always threw me all the athlete cases because they knew I was an athlete. Right. I was like, man, I just want to do this full time because sports is my first language, so it just comes really naturally for me to cool. do that. So. Was there anything that you were able to translate from your experience in the prison systems with athletes? <laughs> sadly sometimes i mean of course you know they have the occasional athletes that kind of come across that have trouble with managing anger okay and frustration so you know teaching anger management in a prison system you know you kind of learn a lot about going, like, yeah going from that oh. teaching an athlete would be nothing yeah <laughs> yeah just kind of how to regulate your emotions better make better decisions um and so the cool part is like when you're doing that in the prison system those people are already sort of got in trouble and here you have some you preventive can prevent <laughs> trouble yeah <laughs> exactly that's exactly. awesome yeah so you work with a couple or a few teams around here right or what teams yeah. do you work with um i work with some local college teams like we're in bethlehem pennsylvania for we're those, in bethlehem yeah. pa you know the home of lehigh university moravia college DeSales, lafayette college those are kind of the local teams for me but um I'm I'm kind of starting to have a more sort of national impact, which is really cool. Awesome, yeah. So I'm at Princeton with a few of their teams. My alma mater, Brown, which is really fun for me. Down in Virginia, uh, Old Dominion. I'm so you're traveling town. a lot? Or? Everywhere, yeah. I've been traveling. We do Skype, which is kind of fun. Okay. So this year I'll be serving um, 
Cal Berkeley women's basketball team, which is going to be really oh, exciting. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So, like, I'll be out there a couple of times, like, you know, hanging out, tasting wine, teaching about sports psychology. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but we'll Skype, and it's just, you know, technology now just makes it possible to just be all over the place. Uh, what's your role with, with these teams? Is there, like, a, a curriculum that you kind of teach the athletes, or do you work with athletes one-on-one -on -one or a combination of both? It's really a combination of both. And I think like my philosophy is to be really positive and proactive. It's like, look, they're not bringing me in because there's any kind of problem. It's just, I think more and more coaches who are like the CEOs of their teams and organizations recognize the value of like, Hey, let's teach these kids some skills so that when they're in pressure situations, they manage them better. Right. So we do kind of group stuff. We do some didactic presentations. We do one-on-one -on -one kind of sport coaching, counseling kind of things. And more often than not, it's a lot about executive coaching with, with the actual coaches who just need somebody to bounce ideas off of and to kind of problem solve when things arise on their team. Awesome. So, yeah. I think that'll be perfect for this episode as well because I think coaches have a huge influence on athletes, especially at that age that we're talking about when they're kind of vulnerable. And I know from my own experience, like I cared a lot about what my coach thought about me, so I wanted to do things to please my coach yeah. or coaches, right? So I think that'll that'll be good. We'll We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, what are some of the most common things that athletes come to you for, for help with? I would say a half to two thirds of this private practice that I have here is about performance anxiety. It's about, um, that fear of failure component, fear of disappointment, not being able to translate practice performance into competition performance. And I think that's like a large part of the practice. There is a fair amount of like kind of mental block stuff. Um, recovering from injury is definitely part of it. But, you know, underlying a lot of it, it's like they're coming in for a performance-related issue. It's like, oh, like my emotions are getting in the way. I get too frustrated out there. I'm so hard on myself. Right. But usually underlying it, there's some kind of depression, anxiety, and, like, it takes a little while to get there. But that's usually what brings them in ultimately. Interesting. Yeah. Um, how can injured athletes benefit from a, a sports psychologist? Um, I mean, I know it's kind of a, a general question. So, like, what are – should they should be they be exercising or like I don't know yeah no this is a great question so um it's an important question because I think oftentimes people really underestimate the emotional impact of injury and so the focus becomes so largely on the physical rehab and I think coaches and parents and trainers often overlook how emotionally hurt these athletes really are they feel left out um, they struggle with depression, right. anxiety. Am I ever going to perform the way that I did? Um, and so I know we're going to talk about some of these issues in depth, but I think working with a sports psychologist at the minimum can kind of help an athlete better understand, like, what can I expect? You know, what can I expect to go through emotionally? And what are some tools I can use to kind of manage this better? Um, can you talk about some of those tools or exercises that you, you put these athletes through? Yeah, totally. So like when I meet with an athlete who's struggling with injury, torn ACL, something where maybe they'd be out a period of time, I just kind of talk with them about like, look, you, you need to know and expect that like you're going to go through some depression. <laughs> you're going to be bummed out, sad, irritable, anxious, and you're going to go through a range of emotions. And so sometimes just kind of normalizing that and letting them know this is what you can yeah, expect. You're not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. This is what you can expect. And like, look, here's some ways to manage it better. So I just kind of talk to them about like, the neuroscience of injury. It's like, look, when you exercise and you get that great sweat in, you know, your body kicks off endorphins and serotonin and all these feel good drugs and chemicals. And right. when you're deprived of that, like you're going to experience a dip in mood, you're going to feel more depressed. And so it's like, how can you, what can you do to kind of make that? So it's not so severe. It's like, all right, you can 
try to get some kind of sweat in, even if it's not with your injured limb. Yeah, that's. Yeah? Uh, I talk with uh, Dr. Spencer about this too. Yeah. Uh, because I just recently had knee surgery. Oh boy. And yikes. It, I've been having a hard time being able to do exercises that make me sweat. Like, and that's like the feeling that I miss, I think. Yeah. Like, I just want to sweat. And he was saying, like, go into a sauna yep. or swimming or stuff like that. It's interesting. Just being out in the sunshine. I mean, like, we know that that just improves your mood. Right. Being around people that you really care about. I mean, these are all things that, um, that athletes can do to kind of help regulate their emotions a little bit better, but also just kind of be sad about it, cry about it. Like it's okay to let the emotions out. It's, it's a right. bummer. You know, nobody's going to sit here and try and tell you it's not You're you're a high school kid and you tore your ACL and you're missing your senior year. Like yeah, there's really no sugar in that. That's no. it's, it stinks. Yeah. Yeah. We've, I've interviewed a few athletes who have suffered multiple, uh, ACL injuries before. Can you talk about, uh, what the stages of coping with an injury are and what kind of moods and emotions that, that, uh, athletes go through and ways to, kind of deal with those yeah I mean I think it probably models a little bit like the the stages of grief you know it's right. like why me you know particularly some of these like season ending career ending injuries you know it's like you know I know you yourself have gone through some of that right. it's like why me I'm young like this is a part of my identity this is who I am this is this is what I know um what are people going to feel about me if I'm not this, you know, amazing exactly, athlete, yeah. you know? Um, I went through that, yeah, that yeah. exact thing, yeah. Yeah, so you you might feel sorry for yourself for a little while. Um, you might be in shock. You might be in denial. It's like, okay, um, all right, so it's bad, but how bad is it? Maybe I can make it back. You right. know? Surely there's got to be some way to fix this. Yeah, I mean, for my, <laughs> in terms of my injury, I had a craniotomy, so I had, I literally have a hole in my skull right now. Yeah. And... So intense. Yeah, I remember a doctor saying, like, he was talking to me about playing sports and how I should, like, be careful because I have a hole in my head versus if I had it covered. Because I had it initially covered, but that got infected. So they had to remove the bone flap over the hole in my skull. So now I just have this exposed area. So therefore, I have to be more careful than I would have if I didn't. So I was like, well, if I get it covered, like, maybe I could play again or something like that. And yeah. I don't think that was what he was getting at, no, but in my 18-year-old head, that's what I was thinking. Hey, denial's not just a river in Egypt, and, like, we all struggle with that to some degree. It's yeah. like, look, you know, you're hearing the words they're saying, but it's so hard to believe. Look, you're an 18-year-old kid. Like, you're going to tell me I can't compete in sports anymore? Right. And so I think there's a whole range of emotions, and just like any other kind of loss, because that's how you're experiencing this, Right. Um, you might feel like you got over it, and then you had... <laughs> You probably experienced oh, this, like, sure. I'm okay with it, I accept yeah. it, and then why me again? Yeah. Or, you know, um, or maybe if I wear a special kind of helmet, <laughs> you know. So you're going to continue to go through those stages. And, um, you know, but typically at some point, those strong emotions, depression, anxiety, those things would start to improve, um, particularly if you understand how to manage it. All right. Yeah. Um, something that I just thought of that I talked about on my last episode that I just mm -hmm. posted, actually was this like you mentioned how people are going to think of me now as uh, if I'm not an athlete or it's a career ending injury. I remember being super insecure about not being an athlete anymore, especially because I had, at the time I had a girlfriend who played uh, soccer at a, a, a different school, you know, and she was hanging out with all athletes. And then I was at a different school, not an athlete, not hanging out with athletes, not doing any of that stuff. And I was like super insecure myself. I'm like, well, she's not going to like me anymore because I'm not, yeah. up to this caliber is that like a common thing that you see or how do you how do you get or i'm sorry how do i phrase this how do you not externalize these 
thoughts and kind of just mm. worry about yourself as opposed to like what other people are thinking. Cause chances are they probably aren't even thinking it. Right. But yeah, I mean, look, our society puts such a high value on sports and we hold these athletes up on a pedestal, pedestal and, yeah. and, you know, we pay throw lots of money at them. They're very glorified. And so, you know, it does, be, it can become very much a part of your identity. It's, it's typically very valued in our culture. You know, the big, strong athlete in the movies always gets the girl. Right. And so, you know, I can totally understand and appreciate that. And it's like, I just really try to encourage athletes to find something, some hobby outside of their sport, find some other way to kind of derive value that isn't related to your performance in sport. Unfortunately, it's really rare right. that athletes actually do it. Did you have uh, something outside of your sport that mm. you did that kind of helped your transition to a life after sport? I think that what helped my transition the most is, you know, what would help any athlete's transition because the truth is we're all going to retire at some point. Exactly. Yeah. Even the pros. I mean, you can prolong it for, for you know, maybe 20 years, but that's right. it. Um you need to have something exciting you're transitioning into. And so I think that if, you know, as for me, I was ending my college career and that's where it ended for me. And I was really excited to go to graduate school and to kind of like start my career okay. path. And I think that really helped me to have something exciting to transition into and also to continue to compete, but in a different way. Right. Competing with your classmates as opposed to... Yeah, not only that. So if, you're, if your injury is such that like you can't compete anymore, that's a whole different kettle of fish than if it's like well i'm not competing at the ncaa level anymore but, but i, I could still, still do tough mutters and triathlons right. and, you know and so for you someone who was probably told avoid contact i imagine you can still get that same because you know we're, it's like a warrior mentality when you compete you, most athletes really want to continue to experience that in some way right um, challenging yourself and yeah you know, Pushing yourself, pushing yourself to the limits in yeah. some way. And so for me, yeah, it became about, okay, I'm going to go to grad school and I want to challenge myself that way. And then I'm going to continue to play in leagues, basketball leagues. I'm going to pick up another sport. I'm going to try golf. I'm going to continue to play tennis. I'm going to just continue to compete, but it's not NCAA level, but it's something. Right. You know? Keeping it, yeah, keeping it alive. So what, what advice would you give to an athlete whose career ended because of an injury and maybe that keeps you from playing that sport in total yeah would that I'd, just be like school and other yeah <laughs> just focus on what you can do or absolutely i mean at some point in time you mourn that loss and you're sad about it and then you have to move forward and let it go um but there's going to be significant emotional pain and i know that you did recently a podcast with chuck debilio who was yeah. facing that scenario where you know this is an ivy league athlete a brilliant guy super talented, great potential, and it was taken away from him. And so how does he cope? How does he move on? Right. Um, and how do athletes do that when their when they're sport that they want to compete in is taken away? Well, hopefully you can find some other kind of outlet, you know, something else. You know, maybe it's not a competitive contact sport, but maybe it's something, maybe you can coach. You know, maybe you can kind of compete at something where, you know, you can still be active and competitive, but it's just not at the same level. Right. Yeah. Do you think that being around the sport that you no longer can play is a good thing? Or do you think you should avoid it? That is such a great question. And I think it just depends, on, depends the on the person. I think it depends on the individual. I think for some people, at least initially, it's extremely painful to be around it. Right. Um, and it just brings up so many emotions that they might avoid it. But but I actually, as a sports psychologist, would 
you know, explore that with that individual. But I think there is some value to staying involved in the sport and trying to, you know, kind of incorporate it in some way if it's something you're really passionate about. Like I said, whether through coaching, spectating, mentoring, um, whatever it might be. And, and even if you're an injured athlete who your career hasn't ended, but you're out for the season. Right. I mean, I know that's probably something we would talk about here. It's like, yeah, we're gonna, yeah. what, what, do, what do you do? Right. You know? I, that's what I was going to ask you next is how do you, appro- do you approach athletes differently if they have a season ending injury versus a career ending injury? Mm-hmm. Like how do you mm-hmm. help that athlete cope? Is it, is it in a similar way or? Yeah. So it's interesting because I think um, in life in general, like stuff comes up and you just try to handle it day by day, right? So I have some athletes who are like, oh, I broke my thumb. I'm out for six weeks and I'm wearing a cast. And it's real easy to kind of say like, hey, how's your doctor's appointment going? You know, whatever. Um, When you're looking at a longer term, like year long, you're out for an ACL. It's like, okay, we're not going to sit here every week and talk about your knee. We've got to talk about what else are you doing? Like, what are you involved in? What are you engaged in? You know, always your long-term goal is getting back. But, like, you know, what are you doing to kind of take care of yourself, your emotional health? And and the same is true for career-ending. I mean, I think the career-ending piece, you've lost that hope of your identity. Right. That, that part being stripped away, I think, makes it a little bit of a different psychological issue. Um that person might be searching a little bit, like that dream is over for them. Right. Um, versus the athlete who's out for a year, they need to still stay pretty focused and engaged in their sport. They need to like kind of learn how can I still be a part of this team, be engaged with my teammates, contribute in some way, even if it's not by being on the field or the court. So, what do you recommend to those athletes who are do have a chance of going back into the game at some point? Yeah. So it's really interesting. I think. Um, I think it's really important to stay involved and connected. So from an athlete standpoint, what I'd be recommending is like, look, go to the practices, stay involved, stay connected, contribute in ways off the court and field by encouraging teammates, kind of being present. You know, from an emotional standpoint, like channel that hurt into something productive. Like maybe you broke your right arm, but could you become extremely skilled with your left hand dribbling a basketball? Right. Could you kind of reframe it in your mind that you're going to rehab this knee stronger than anybody's ever rehabbed before. Right. Um, You know, just kind of a different spin on it, trying to kind of focus on the positives. Like, okay, like you blew your knee out, but you are going to come back. Right. You will come back. People have come back. This is what the prognosis is like and succeeded. This is exactly why I started the podcast. So people who are at that low point can see someone who did get over it and succeed Mm -hmm. afterwards. So, Mm mm-hmm. All right. Hey, I would tell them, listen to your podcast. Yeah. You're going to hear some, you know, words of encouragement. Talk to people who've been through it. Um, that, can, you know, anxiety is fear of the unknown. It's like, man, it's the first time I've ever had a major injury. Like, oh, am I going to ever be the same? Talk to people. Ask your doctor questions. You know, understand better what's happening so that you don't have as much fear. How, when an athlete gets injured, how do they, I mean, I'm sure feelings of isolation are probably pretty common. Mm-hmm. So, how do you, if you could talk to the teammates of this athlete, how would you, what would you say to them? And like, what kind of words should they avoid using versus, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what should they, should they not talk about the injury? Should they like ask how they're doing or how, how can they help this athlete during this time of healing? I guess. I think teammates uh, and coaches really need to, work hard to include the injured athlete in activities. Um, You know, teammates in particular, we're sitting around group techs, we're doing activities outside of the sport. 
you need to include that athlete, even if they're not right. actively playing. You want to include them. Um, I think, like, seriously, like, the best question you can ask is, like, how are you doing? And they might say, fine. It's like, well, no, like, how are you really doing? Right. Like, how are you really, really doing? Like, I think sometimes, like, athletes want to talk about it, but they don't think anybody will understand. That's why they feel so isolated or they don't want to be accused of whining or complaining. And so um, I think, like, just being really curious, checking in. If you're a teammate or a coach, like, and that athlete's having a surgery, like, go to the hospital. Visit them. Right. Um, you know, make sure that, like, particularly coaches um, – Stay more connected, not less. Like right. reach out more, engage with them more, um, give them some role that they can kind of embrace and be a part of it and yeah. feel a part of it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I have to say that that's exactly what my coaches did when I had my career ending injury. Mm. They were always at the hospital, always checking in, texting me to see how I'm doing. And also mm. when I was able to go back to school, I remember my one coach, he was the offensive coordinator. So he gave me like the plays sheet you know, that he held and he just, just so I could be involved in the game. And like, yeah. I would stand next to him. And when he would call out a number, I knew like what play was coming up just so I felt like I was more a part of it. So my coaches definitely did like an, an awesome job doing that. And coaches that might be listening to this, make sure that you, yeah. you pay attention to the athlete and don't, don't forget about them. <laughs> don't forget about them. And you know, it's kind of like anything else, even with a death, it's like people are there, they're at the funeral, they send you flowers. And then all of a sudden after it's those like, first couple wah, of days, wah, yeah. that's it. And you don't hear anything. And that's when the loneliness kicks in. I think a great example actually would be, um, RG three. Yeah. He gets injured and he talks about, you know, he's out for the year and he said, I'm going to take more mental reps than anybody else in the NFL. So he made it a point to seriously watch those games and imagine himself in those scenarios. And so it's a great opportunity for athletes to also just continue to develop and grow by picturing themselves like in the scenario. What, you know, what would RG3 do? He's watching Kirk Cousins. What would he do if he were in the game? You know, right. how would he have called that play? Like what, what did he see? So he's still growing and learning and staying engaged instead of just kind of being detached and kind of, Ugh, like poor you're feeling me. bad for yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always something that you could be doing to get better. Yeah, totally. Um, now, what about the family? Now, the family of the athlete. Like, how should they be talking to this this particular individual, especially if they want to go back to the sport? I know, yeah. like, in turn, my mom. She's I love you, mom. But uh, <laughs> she is could be very overprotective at times. Yeah. So she tells me not to do things that probably would never hurt me, but like mm. for like tough mutters, for example, mm -hmm. like when I want to do a tough mutter or run a half marathon, she's seen me at my lowest of lows physically when I had my head injury yeah. and she was told that I would, might not make it through the night. But then after that, when I am physically capable of doing these things, she doesn't, or she wouldn't, um, encourage me to do it. She actually didn't want me to do it. So how would you, hmm. how would you tell those athletes or parents, you know, how to, talk to to that individual i love that question it's so interesting so hearing you talk about your mom i'm thinking i'm looking at you and you're a grown man right. so i'm looking at you thinking only child i'm a mama's boy i'm not gonna i lie. know yeah. but i'm thinking to myself your mother is coming from a place of care and concern she was you know obviously scared and devastated what she saw with your serious injury um but ultimately you you can kind of she can take comfort in the fact that like look you're a grown man who makes choices and decisions that she has to deal with and accept. She can express her concern, you know, but that's that's a different thing than a high school kid. And uh, that could change the structure and dynamic of that entire family. For example, if you're the quarterback of the football team right. or, you know, insert whatever sport, 
and everybody goes every Saturday and it's a ritual and we go and we watch and we hang out with the other families and it's like this big thing and all of a sudden Johnny's not playing this year and it changes everything. I mean, um, I think that families have to be really careful about dealing with that athlete and helping them feel unconditionally loved and supported and appreciated um, even if they're not competing in their sport. Awesome. Yeah. I never thought about that dynamic, of it, but you're right because I didn't play college athletics, but I know that a lot of the parents will like travel together. They'll oh, set yeah. up little tailgates for the players after the game. So that's interesting. It's something I never thought about. Yeah. Um, okay. How can athletes regain confidence in their injured limb if that applies to them? So like a pitcher's arm or a running back's knee or going from – you know, rehabbing with a brace to wearing no brace. You know, mm-hmm. how do you kind of deal with those kind of psychological um, obstacles that these athletes face? And if you have any examples, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people come back from, you know, we talk about ACL tears a lot because that's kind of one of the most common yeah. and serious injuries, um, you know, where I think knowledge is power. So the more that you know about the progression and what to expect at each stage, the better. So it's like, look, you're always going to be checking in with your surgeon and your physicians, and you should never be doing more than what they're saying you ought to do. And so you've got to rehab smart. You've got to return smart. Um, But ultimately, you can do everything well and everything right, and the physician will tell you, okay, you're ready. You're good to go. And then that first day you're out to practice. Am I? Am I really (laughs) ready? Is it really going to hold up? And all the what-ifs come in. What if it happens again? Right. And so, you know, if – Usually, like, it'll just take a couple of practices to get over that. But sometimes, like, again, this is kind of what we see in our practice. Like, athletes who, like, really struggle psychologically with dealing with those what-ifs and not, you know, it kind of, like, would block them from being able to perform. And so when you get injured, it's a psychological trauma as well. It gets stored in your brain. Right. You know, You don't want that feeling again. You do not want to have that feeling again. You do not want to take that emotional risk. And so sometimes even just sort of unconsciously like your, your body just kind of stops you from performing um and so part of that is just kind of like dealing with that anxiety understanding what anxiety feels like in your body and like how do you kind of calm yourself down so that you can just focus on performing how do you dismiss those negative thoughts that come into your head right you've got to kind of like override that fear and it might take like several counseling sessions to kind of get through that and work through some of that right yeah. uh, can you give like one example of a tip that you might do to get rid of those negative thoughts Sure. Um, so, you know, I think just understanding, again, that it's normal and natural to have those thoughts. You know, we're not going to judge those thoughts. Like, okay, like I might be a little bit scared right now. I'm going to acknowledge that. That's okay. Um, but oftentimes I'll just recommend to athletes to just kind of like take a breath. Like seriously, like slow, deep breathing. That kind of gets you to feel more relaxed. Your body would feel less tense because when your body's so tense like that, then your thoughts start cycling even more like, oh, gosh, like I'm really tightening up. I don't think I could do this. Um, And so slow deep breathing is really a great way to do that. And then the other part of it is focusing on what you do know, not what you don't know. Okay. And so, for example, with the injured athlete coming back from a knee, it's like, here's what I know. I rehabbed this knee for 12 months, harder than anybody's ever rehabbed anything in their whole life. I put in the time, I put in the effort, I strengthened it. You know, I had a great surgeon and great surgery. I've recovered really well. You know, people have come back from this all the time. It's kind of breaking down that irrational thought process of like, oh gosh, this is going to happen again. Um, And so you've got to just remind yourself and focus on the positives and the things you do know. I do know that I've worked really hard to come back. I do know that 
many people come back and never get re-injured right. versus what you don't know. When you spend so much time thinking about what you don't know, it can really kind of stop you in your tracks. That's an awesome message. Yeah. Um, okay. This is my a question that I thought of only because I experienced a really serious injury that would probably scare me if it, if it happened to a teammate. And I also witnessed a really serious injury in Eric Legrand, uh, who got paralyzed. Uh, he's a Rutgers football player who was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. So how can teams kind of avoid playing scared after seeing a teammate go through such a serious injury, whether it, it could be an ACL? I mean, I remember the Willis McGahee ACL from like 10, 15 years ago in the national championship game where his mm-hmm. knee like literally went backwards oh, in God. half. And that's something that as a 10 year old, like I always remembered that. And I was always worried about that. Like it was in the back of my head that to like protect my knees. And so that doesn't happen to me. Yeah. So how do you, how can a coach maybe uh, approach talking to their team about, you know, the, the injury or at least addressing the injury without scaring them and probably hindering their performance in some way? Yeah, great question. So I think that is, number one, you hit it on, on the head. You've got to talk about it. Okay, you've got to talk about it. Right. And, you know, especially with young kids, if you just kind of leave that image of Willis McGahee's right. <laughs> knee, knee splitting in half, it's, of course, that's terrifying. I mean, you even think about 9-11 and watching that on TV. It's like, how do you even walk out your door? Right. You know, thinking maybe that could happen. That yeah. could happen. Yeah. And so just kind of, I think, a life lesson when things like this happen is like, you know, things are going to un- unfold in life that are tragic and awful. Right. And it's a low percentage chance, um, but it could happen. It could happen. Um, but here's why we think it won't. We're going to teach you when you play football to tackle, you know, with your head in the right position we're going to teach you the right technique and form and whatever but understanding that hey the way the world works is like bad things do happen like we have to be able to put it in proper perspective right you know this is a this was an unexpected freak thing we 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 would never expect this to happen if it were to if we were to do this a million times over you know denna lang is a great example this young woman who plays professional ice hockey who, you know, ran into the boards and gets a neck injury and is paralyzed. And it's like, oh, my gosh, like, does anybody want to play hockey today after seeing that? Like, no, I mean, it's terrifying. But on some level, we all kind of walk through life taking risks. We're all going to cross the street. We're going to drive a car today. And like you have more likelihood of getting in a car accident than you do paralyzing yourself playing football. For sure. Yeah. And so just kind of. You know, not to <laughs> create more anxiety about driving your car, but right. to just kind of put it in a proper perspective. I think coaches and parents can do that for young kids and, and, and kind of be able to, you know, just kind of say, hey, like bad things are going to happen sometimes, but, you know, we don't stop our life because of that. And we just take all the proper precautions that we can. Right. And people ask me pretty fre- frequently if I had a kid, would I let them play football? And mm-hmm. I don't have a kid, number one, so it's hard for me to say that. Yeah. But... What I do say is that same exact thing. It's like I had fun playing football. Had I told someone that my head hurt, I probably would not have been in the situation that I put myself in. Oh, interesting. And it wouldn't have been as serious as it was. But I was trying to be a tough guy, which is what we're going to get to next. Oh, boy. But, you know, you could get hurt, you know, in a car accident or you could get yeah. hit by a car walking across the street or you don't, you can't control what happens to you. No. And, like, CTE, uh, yes, I'm sure it's a real thing, chronic traumatic encephalopathy yeah, or right, whatever. Right. Um, I'm sure it does have a huge impact on, you know, athletes after their careers. 
But what I will say is, like, there's a chance that you might not even live long enough to get to that point. So if you have fun playing football and it's mm-hmm. something that that kid really enjoys doing and it has positive benefits from doing, then do it. Like, yeah. if I can go back, I would still play. I just would have told someone how I was feeling, hmm. you know, from an injury perspective. Oh, that's such a great point. Ugh. So that brings me to my next question is cultivating an environment where it's okay to say when you're hurt. So yeah. the reason why I'm really passionate about this question is because from the time I was seven and the time most athletes are were that age, they were told to suck it up and to play through pain and it's glorified in the media, you know, Kurt Schilling's bloody sock and, you know, all this stuff. It, it, it's like a cool thing to play hurt. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason why my head injury was so severe was because I played hurt. I separated my shoulder in one of the first games of the season, and then I hurt my other shoulder because I kept using that one instead, and then I had nothing else to hit with but my head. Oh, boy. So this is where, looking back, this is what I think happened. But really it all comes down to me wanting my coach to think that I was tough. I just wanted to be tough. I didn't care about anything else at that point in time, like girls or anything like that, like typical high school stuff. I wanted my head football coach to think that Kevin Som was – the toughest player on the team. So I altered my playing kind of around that. And I know that's not just my coach. It's not just football. It's every, most coaches, you know, and every sport it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. So how can coaches talk to athletes and cultivate an environment where it's okay to tell the trainer that, you know, you twisted your ankle today, or it's okay to say that you jammed your finger, or is there any, tips that you have for coaches and parents alike because sometimes parents could be that person telling them to suck it up and get back in there yeah I think that the world of sports is crazy and I think that even at the youth sports level that it's super intense parents and coaches and everybody um you know there is this mentality this warrior mentality of like just get in there and play through it right because you know that's a life lesson exactly you can play through pain and persist and And, and when I say this it's like I know I benefited from doing this at some point in time, but mm-hmm. it's also the reason why I almost died playing a sport. Yeah. So it's like a hard balance, you know, like, yeah. and it's hard to say like, oh, well, you twist your ankle, so you're not hurt. Like, you're just, or you're right. not injured, you're hurt or whatever. Right. But when, I don't know. It's, yeah. Where so, Where's yeah. the line? Oh, God, it's such a blurry line. And I think that, um, you know, even from my own personal experience, I think about, Man, I was 14 years old. You couldn't have stopped me from playing. My foot was black. It looked like it needed to be amputated. And later, I mean, my mom was the only one who was like, don't let her play. And you're a 14-year-old. You don't appreciate long-term consequences. You don't have any understanding of the long-term impact, particularly of head injuries and some of these other things. Um, And so you just want to be in that moment. You're, You're not a great decision maker. Your brain's not fully developed. So we need the adults to be adults. And to kind of understand, it's a little bit crazy the way we obsess over sports and the way that we are constantly pushing athletes um, to play injured and play hurt. And, you know, that that is some badge of honor, a badge of courage is a culture that's so embedded um, and it needs to change. And so, frankly, I think some steps are being taken. I think that we're trying to make sports safer. We're trying to introduce certain protocols you know, like the impact test and some right. of these other things that would have real broad lines about like, hey, like this means you can play and this means you can't. And we need to be able to properly assess that. So there's some steps being taken. But ultimately, at the end of the day, even with impact and with concussion, it's self-report. Right. So Kevin Som can go and say like, no, no, not having any yeah, headaches. Fine, yeah. No, no, I feel good. 
you know, and that, and concussion is really complicated one for that. So I think creating that culture is really important. I don't think coaches are currently doing that very often. Right. I don't think it's talked about as much as it should be. Um, but I think from a best practice standpoint, like I would just really empower players with like, look, you know, your body, you know, yourself, like you need to be able to be, to tell us, can you do it? Can you not? Right. And like, you know, I think some coaches say that, but the player doesn't, you really know, internalize that. the message. Yeah. 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 And so. And optional, that, and optional practice, you know, this yeah. weekend. Yeah. yeah. Or if they just kind of say, well, you decide, you know, I've had players, you know, particularly with concussions, like they're like, well, only, you know, so you decide. And it's like privately, those players are like, I just want the doctor to tell me I can't play and right. give me permission to not play because you don't want to look. Yeah. soft or whatever oh, exactly coach, yeah. and particularly with concussion because if because like i can walk i can talk i'm physically capable everything that you're saying is exactly what was going through my head when yeah. i i just had a headache that was it yep. it was a severe headache but i was afraid to tell my coach that i wasn't going to play that weekend because i had a headache like i everyone has yeah. headaches yeah so. yeah you felt like you were being a little bit potentially like a little schoolgirl there you're exactly, sure yeah, you question yourself right yeah yeah and so athletes don't really trust their instincts sometimes with that and i think also the message that we send is like team first you know mentality like and so if you're going to send a team first mentality it's like well i can't let my team down i can't let my coaches down it's a kind of a countercultural message to say like you need to take care of yourself long term. Right. Like we're all going to retire from sports, like, right. <laughs> probably after high school and sometimes even before that. And so, you got to look at the big picture. And like young athletes are not able to just do that. Just don't get it. Yeah. Nope. So what would you say to young athletes? Just I mean, it's hard to say because like when you put yourself back in your seventeen-year-old shoes, like yeah, it's funny. I tell this once. I tell this story too because my mom was on a business trip the week that I had my second impact syndrome injury. And I was telling her the whole week that my head was hurting me when I talked to her on the phone. And she's like, well, Kevin, you should go tell the trainer because you have – athletic trainer, sorry. You should – because I read this People Magazine article about this kid who played with a concussion and he died from second impact syndrome. And Oh, my God. I was that's like, like chilling. I was like, no, I think I have sinus infection. I'm probably fine. Yeah. But that's exactly what happened to me. And, like, athletes don't yeah. think that it will ever happen to them. So – yeah, I think that your positive attitude probably got in your way there because, you know, it's your optimism. It's your assumption of health. And right. when we're young, we have an assumption of health. I mean, in some ways, being a hypochondriac would have protected you there a little bit, you know. Right, like, exactly. But you assume the best. Like, oh, it's probably this. Oh, it's probably that. And, of course, 99 times out of 100, it is that. Right. You know, and so um, it's just kind of, you know, how do you prepare yourself for that one time out of 100 that it really is something severe, you know. Right. Uh, do you think that athletes are more vulnerable because coaches are in this po like position of authority? And do you think that the age level to, like is also has something to do with that? Like youth players versus high school players versus college players. Like, are they more influential at certain stages of your life? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the younger you are, the more impressionable you are. There's right, no that's, question. Right, that's where I was looking yeah. for. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, you're young, you're easily influenced, you're easily led. Um, you're going to probably do what you're told. You don't have a mind of your own, so to speak. Right. Um, and that's why parents and coaches become so important. Um, but I almost think the challenge is greater in college because, you know, when you're a kid, like, your parents got to tell you if you can or can't play typically, right? Right. In college, you're kind of making that call on your own and... 
there's so many other factors at play. It's like, look, this is a whole nother level. Essentially, I'm being paid to play this sport in some cases. Yeah, scholarships. You know, yeah. if I if I get injured, is somebody going to take my position? You know, am I going to lose my spot? Right. And then ultimately, am I going to lose my scholarship? You know, am I going to lose my identity? Right. Um, you know, you see this happen at the professional level all the time. I mean, you can see and understand why players want to play through injury and concussion. I mean, careers lost. Drew Bledsoe. It's like, man, I went down. All of a sudden, this young dude named Tom Brady took my right. spot. And so, um, you know, I think that, yes, the young athletes are extremely impressionable, but in some ways a little more protected if they have good supportive people in their lives, whereas the college athletes, I think the pressure on them to perform is just tremendous. Do you have athletes that come to you that kind of express those same feelings, like they're afraid that their position is going to be taken? Absolutely. Or? I mean, even something sub-threshold, it's like, okay, your position being taken is like a pretty big deal, but I have athletes who come in with a concussion, a serious concussion. They're a week out, and they're like, it's the alumni game, and all the alums are coming back, and I want them to see me play. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, dude. Yeah, that's crazy. You're 19 years old. This is your brain we're talking about. Is You know, what I, I want to just shake them, but, you know, what I found is that I try not to give out too much advice. Like, I know people think psychologists are in the business of giving advice. Right. I'm in the business of getting them to critically think about what they're doing. And what I really like to do, honestly, in these situations is just ask them, like, look, number one, trust your gut. If you don't know what your gut's telling you, ask yourself the question, like, is it wise? So does it pass the test? Is it wise? Right. If a week after concussion, you're saying your main justification for going back to play soccer is the alums are coming this weekend and you're currently leading the league in save percentage and you don't want to fall behind. I don't know. Is it wise? Yeah. Is it, you know, so I just really try to help athletes critically think about it because I'm not a medical expert. I can't tell you whether or not you're ready to go back. Right. I can just tell you to really, really think about the issues around it and hope that by talking about it and kind of getting it out there out loud, you can explore like what is really motivating me to go back when right. people are telling me this is not a good call. Um, I've had some experience with working with sports psychologists. I think what you said is exactly where I found the value. It, it, you're right. It's not like getting advice. It's guiding you to critically think about the decisions that you're trying to make. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate that, that you guys do that for, for us. Yeah. Um, a lot of times there's a stigma that comes with going to a psychologist. Yeah. Right. So what would you say to athletes who might be embarrassed to go to see to, to talk to someone about how they're feeling, whether it's an injury or something else that's going on at home or their performance on the field. Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. I think that's, um, I think, I think that the field of psychology is starting to be destigmatized. Um, you know, having been in a university counseling center, I mean, you can see those kids aren't afraid to go there and sit no. in that waiting room and be there. And, and I think it's just a reality of the way the world is today. Like more and more people are willing to get help, but athletes are the toughest ones to get in there. And they really, um, part of why they're so good at what they do is like they're resilient. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get through this on my own. Yeah, I don't so need help, yeah, I don't need help. So some of it is just teaching them a little psychoeducation about like, what is depression? What is anxiety? And like, when you suck it up for too long, you're going to implode or you're going to explode. You know, you're going to pull a Tiger Woods and like ruin everything in your life because you're dealing with something like the death of his father and you're not grieving it. You're not talking. You're not dealing with it. Right. There are dire consequences to not do that. I mean, we see in the most extreme cases and examples like people commit suicide. I mean, it's just, you know, there, 
I think now the NCAA is starting to recognize the need to treat the emotional health of athletes better. And so I just really always encourage athletes, even sharing personal stories. It's like, look, like I struggle with this too. This is, this is okay. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to sometimes admit that like the hurt you're going through is, is too much to handle on your own. And so I think normalizing it is, is part of what we do and, and kind of packaging it as, look, we could all improve. Like you're all about progress and improvement and striving to be your best self. Well, one way to do that is take care of your emotional health. We all could do better with that. Right. It's not like a bicep where you can see it getting bigger when you're like improving (laughs) your health, but it's probably the most important thing that you can be doing. It controls everything that you do. Yeah. So I think that's a great message to athletes. Yeah. Um, So these last few questions are just ones that I I always ask. And (laughs) first one is, uh, one that I got from another podcast called uh, the Lewis House School of Greatness, but I just loved it, the episode or the the question, so I always want to make sure I give him credit because I didn't think of it. But anyway, if you had to tattoo one word or phrase backwards on your head that you had to look at it in the mirror every single day, what would it be? You know, um, hmm. I was thinking about this a little bit here, and I would say it would be one of two things, and I think they they say the same thing, but I'm just trying to see which one I would like better. I would say either be present or just be for me. And I think the reason is that, you know, oftentimes I spend too much time thinking about what I need to do, what's going to happen in the future, what I just did, and critically analyzing that, and too little time just kind of being in the moment and kind of enjoying what's happening around me. And I've tried to get really conscious about doing that and intentional about doing that and so every week I schedule a two-hour bike ride I make sure I get out there and I'm in nature and I'm like I'm on that bike there's no music there's no people and I'm just being I'm 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 looking at nature I'm looking at things that I like to see and I'm just trying to not worry too much about everything else and trying to control all these things what do you do when your mind wanders on the bike ride and how do you kind of get yourself back into being present so that's a great mindfulness concept like i study that a lot because eastern culture is really good at this this whole concept of like when your attention wanders away bring it back i listen to to headspace all the time oh i love headspace yeah so he talks about that all the time oh my god it's so good and it alters your brain and it's amazing if you spend 10 minutes a day doing that we'd all so easy we'd all be better people if you also want to fall asleep and you're having a hard time his voice will oh my god (laughs) if you feel your mind wander away just bring your attention back to your breathing and there's like those (laughs) those bouts of well, he doesn't talk at all for like three minutes straight. You're, <laughs> You're like, like, wait, did this stop all of a yeah, sudden? Is exactly, my computer, yeah. did my battery die? <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, as soon as you think that, he'll just chime in. Yep. So yeah, coming back to my senses and noticing what's around me, I really try hard to do that. It's hard to do on a two-hour bike ride, but for 10 minutes, I could do it. You think that's important for athletes as well? Absolutely. I've used that app in my office. I've taught I've tried to teach athletes about mindfulness. I think some of them really gravitate toward it and get it. Some of them are like, oh, I don't yeah. know. This is a waste this of time. Voodoo, voodoo um, magic stuff. But I think what I find with this generation is the more you can prove it to them with data and explain it to them, like, hey, there's actually research out there that says this alters the structure of your brain so that you would feel you know, less anxious, less depressed. You would feel more productive. It's like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Right. I'll try that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'll link the um, Headspace app link up in the, the show notes so Good people call. listening can uh, check it out themselves there's 10 free episodes that you can listen to over and over again I love it um, alright last question what's your personal definition of perseverance so perseverance okay for me perseverance equals 
tenacity um, or grit. Okay. Um, I really like the word grit. I just see perseverance as like a relentless pursuit. It's like, you know, persisting at a task long after your mind or body or outside forces try to convince you to give up because you just think it's totally worth the fight. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Amato, for taking the time to share your knowledge with my audience. And um, I really appreciate all that you guys do for athletes and for athletes out there. If you haven't seen a sports psychologist, definitely go out there. And if you live in the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania area, definitely go out to uh, uh, Mind of the Athlete and make an appointment. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks, Dr. Amato.